Welcome to the Sky Pilot Podcast that explores questions of faith, spirituality, and religion. I'm Dan Matthews, and I don't have all the answers, but I do enjoy the questions. Welcome to the podcast where every question is an invitation into a spiritual quest, and you're invited along for the journey. What is Palm Sunday? It's the question for the day. Most days on the Christian calendar carry with them fairly simple storylines and therefore are also pretty self-explanatory, even for a person who's never visited a Christian church before. So if you came to a church for the very first time in your life on Christmas, you might not understand all the rituals of that particular church, but you would clearly understand that the birth story of Jesus was being celebrated. Likewise, if you were to make your first foray into a Christian church on Easter Day, you'd walk away with a clear understanding that this group of people was celebrating the rising from the dead of a particular person. If we were, or maybe just I were, to name the most confusing worship service of the entire year, at least in my tradition, it may well be the Palm Sunday Liturgy. And many churches, like the Catholic Church, the Episcopal Church, the Lutheran Church, and others, there are so many things happening on this day, you'd have a very difficult time as a first-time visitor walking away with an understanding of all that has just happened, and certainly not the why. At its most basic, Palm Sunday happens one week before Easter. And it would be fair at this point, if you didn't know, then to ask, what's the date of Easter? Most of us know Christmas is celebrated on December 25th, but unfortunately, Easter has no fixed date, and so Palm Sunday also has no fixed date. Now, I'm just going to briefly explain how the date of Easter is figured because it's kind of interesting in a weird sort of way. The date of Easter, and therefore the date of Palm Sunday, changes from year to year, and this was a major debate in the early church and eventually caused the church to call together a council of its leaders— to talk about some other pressing issues, but also to talk about when the date of Easter should be. Eventually, it was decided that there would be no fixed date for Easter. Instead, it was decided that Easter should always be held on the first Sunday after the first full moon that follows the vernal equinox. Got that? The vernal equinox, just as a reminder, There are two of them each year in which night and day are exactly the same length, 12 hours each. And we're talking about the first vernal equinox, which happens in the first half of the year. In practice, all of this means that Easter can be held anywhere from March 22nd to April 21st. And it always follows the previously described formula unless... The formula would cause Easter to fall on the Jewish festival of Passover, and then Easter is celebrated the week before. This finding the calendar date of Christianity's greatest holy day is such a royal pain that in seminary, as I recall, we were never even asked to calculate it. And thank goodness. Want to know the date of Easter? For heaven's sakes, just look at a calendar or ask Google. So now that we have a clearly muddled understanding of how the date of Easter is assigned, we now know when Palm Sunday is. It is always one week before Easter, and thankfully there are no exceptions to that rule. Palm Sunday also begins Holy Week, which is the most holy week of the Christian calendar. 
Palm Sunday points its way towards Good Friday and Easter, which are the two most important days of the church year. Let's begin by talking about what happened 2,000 years ago that causes us to celebrate Palm Sunday today. Jesus sends his disciples ahead of him to a particular place to get a donkey. When they get there, as they are untying the animal, they are asked, what are you doing? As Jesus told them they would be. Though Jesus does many miraculous things throughout Scripture, we need not see anything more unusual here than Jesus having prearranged with someone to borrow their donkey. What is interesting in this story is the use of the word donkey. At the time of Jesus, the donkey was seen as an animal of peace. The horse was seen as an animal of war. A king riding into a new city for the first time would carefully choose which animal to ride so the inhabitants of the city would know exactly what the king's purpose was. The authors of the gospel, who no doubt knew of this tradition, they want us to know that Jesus has chosen to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. Jesus wants them to know him as the king of peace. It also makes understandable the importance of Jesus having made plans as to which animal he would ride. One of the important themes of the story of this week, from Palm Sunday all the way through Easter, is that everything happens is because Jesus allowed it to happen. They were his choices. Even his execution was because he allowed it to happen. As Jesus rides into Jerusalem, we are told that people began to spread their cloaks on the ground before him and that people cut off branches of palm trees to place with the cloaks on the road to pave his way. And as they ran along beside him and lined the road, they shouted, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. They also shouted, Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now you're forgiven if you don't recognize both of those immediately, but they are both from the Old Testament. The first is from Psalms and the second is from Isaiah. The important thing to remember as we hear this story is that the author's trying to let us know that this is being tied to the Old Testament because he wants us to understand that Jesus is the fulfillment of what was expected in the Old Testament. Jesus is not something new, but someone who's been long awaited. As Jesus makes his triumphal ride, he's told once he enters Jerusalem by some of the religious teachers of that time and place that this is too much. He should tell the crowds to be quiet. But Jesus says... If I told them to be quiet, the stones themselves would start to sing. Now, many scholars remind us that this is similar to a passage in Isaiah as well, which the mountains sing praises to God. But I've always seen this passage as harking back to the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Right after he appears on the scene and is baptized by John in the Jordan, Jesus goes into the wilderness for an extended period of time, and we're told he's tempted by Satan. There are three temptations, but the first temptation is the one I'm really interested in right now, and it's a practical one. Satan, knowing that Jesus has been in the wilderness for a long time, is hungry and and encourages Jesus to use his powers to turn the stones around him into bread, but Jesus refuses. Now, three years later, we are coming to the end of Jesus' ministry, and the stones that would not change for Satan are on the verge of bursting into song themselves in the presence of Jesus. I think it's a beautiful and poetic way to bringing the story full circle. Now, 
For the interesting part of the service that takes place on Palm Sunday, we'll begin with a blessing of the palms that we will wave in procession. Often we start outside the church and process into the building as a reenactment of Jesus's triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And here's the strange part. Palm Sunday is often also called Passion Sunday. Passion Sunday is the word the church uses for the final days of Jesus's life, generally meaning his arrest, trial, and crucifixion. In the church, we're really big on only reading about things that were supposed to happen on that particular day. But the Passion didn't happen on Palm Sunday, so why do we call Palm Sunday by that name? We call it that because on Palm Sunday, we read the entire Passion story. It's the longest reading of any service throughout the whole year. So Palm Sunday, we will... On this year, have a reading that begins with Jesus and the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is betrayed by a friend and then arrested. He's held overnight and then taken to face Pilate, the Roman governor. He's eventually condemned to die and at the crowds insisting, finally is crucified. And it is, in the end, after Jesus died, only the Roman centurion who says, surely this man was the Son of God. This reading is often done in churches dramatically. People in the congregation will take different parts. The congregation itself as a whole takes the part of the crowd. And when Pilate asks the crowd what to do with Jesus, the congregation shouts their line, crucify him. So this passion story that I've just described does not happen on Palm Sunday. It happens on Thursday and Friday of what we call Holy Week. So again, why do we read it? We read it because the church is concerned. We're concerned if we don't read it, some of our parishioners will not come back to church for the services on Thursday and Friday. They'll be in church on Palm Sunday as Jesus has his ticker tape parade, and then Easter the next week for the victory over death party, but we'll miss all the important parts of the story that happen in between. And those important, those parts are so powerful to help us really understand the story. One of the interesting themes about the Passion story is that we are to understand the very same people who were calling Jesus King of Kings are also the people who yelled crucify him a week later. The very same disciples who swore their undying faithfulness and allegiance to Jesus were soon nowhere to be found at the time of his crucifixion. Some read the story of Jesus' crucifixion as placing the blame on the Jews, but when I listen to it, that's not what I hear at all. What I hear is that Jesus, God incarnate, came to earth and was not recognized and then eventually hailed and then rejected and then abandoned in his hour of need by humanity. This is not the story of Judaism's response to Jesus. It is the story of humanity's response. It is telling and powerful me for me that every year since the death of Jesus, people have gathered together to tell the story, to relive the story, to celebrate elements of the story in the presence of one another. And perhaps for the first time in 2,000 years, that tradition will be broken this year. We will not gather together in groups. We will sign in online maybe and watch our services on the internet but we will not be physically present with one another. 
the streets of Jerusalem will remain largely empty where pilgrims normally gather for the Palm Sunday and Holy Week and Easter rituals. And churches across the United States and the world will, for the first time in centuries upon centuries, remain empty. And that's wise, and as it should be, for the health and well-being of so many people. But we would be remiss if we didn't mark this moment of time. And perhaps this is the most accurate reenactment of Holy Week and the passion the world has ever seen. We are, by matter of circumstance, reenacting the real story of Jesus as it played out 2,000 years ago. As he walked towards the cross alone, his followers were gone, the crowds had fallen silent, he looked for friendly faces, but none were there. Let us use this separation during Holy Week as a spiritual reminder of the isolation Jesus experienced as he journeyed towards the cross this week. And may we never have to experience this kind of social isolation from each other again. This year, our places of worship will be cold and silent as stones. And may the words of Jesus be true, and may those stones soon start to sing. That's all for today. On your spiritual journey, may you ask questions, seek answers, and boldly go wherever the quest takes you. If you'd like to offer a question for me to answer, you can get in touch with me through email or Twitter. Just remember SkyPilot with three T's, S-K-Y-P-I-L-O-T-T-T. That's skypilot at gmail.com, and the Twitter is at SkyPilot. Thanks for listening to SkyPilot FaithQuest. I invite you to send me a question or leave a review. And remember, the sign of a strong faith, solid religion, or healthy spiritual journey is not certainty, but that you keep asking questions. Mm